This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show. As a fan, you want to see that somebody on this team, players, manager, ownership, front office, are invested emotionally like you are. I mean, it doesn't take a seven-game losing streak for you to realize that the, the construction of this Met bullpen was iffy at best. Any general manager who's worth his salt doing his due diligence has to see that we're not going anywhere without this bullpen being improved in some facet. If the Mets had lost yesterday directly after a Friday closed-door meeting that Buck Showalter had to have because of how they played and how they looked and the fact that you got to turn this thing around, I mean, what would that have said? If you have a Friday closed-door meeting and the team still doesn't respond, that's a whole different issue. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number two, Sunday edition of the Larry Hardesty Show. Thank you for joining us. Making us a part of your Sunday. Hit us up on Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPNNY 98 underscore 7 FM. Also, of course, the number 1-800-919-3776. Hour one, we talked a little baseball. Hour two, we talked some football. Ritzamini has been covering the Jets for a while. He does a great job at it. He also is, uh, has the flight deck that you can hear on the ESPNNewYork.com, the podcast. And uh, he gets an extra week. So I wanted to catch him before he goes to uh, Tahiti on his vacation. <laughs> Rich Samini joins us now on 987 ESPN. Hi, Rich. How are you? Hey, Larry. How you doing? Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. Good to thanks for a couple of minutes. So, Rich, how does it feel to have no no OTAs next week? You had to be shocked. Uh no, not really shocked. I mean, there was kind of rumor out there for a couple of weeks that uh Robert Sala was going to cancel the mini camp. So, um, it was kind of expected. I don't know if the players knew it or not, but I think uh, us in the media, we had a little inkling that that was going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I could see why he's doing it. I mean, they start a week earlier. They're, they're coming back around July 19th, earlier start to training camp because of the Hall of Fame game. So I get it. He wanted to give them, you know, those 40 days off. Uh, a few years ago, I might have had a different opinion. But, you know, the NFL has changed so much. The offseason is so watered down now that I really don't think it's that big a deal that he's given them a few extra practices off. Rich, we fast forward. This team gets off to a slow start. Are we going to hear about the fact that he gave them a week off and no, no mandatory mini camp? <laughs> no, no. I mean, they'll have plenty of practices over the summer, you know, and they're having joint practices as well. Uh, this will probably, mm. this will be, uh, you know, not probably will be the most joint practices they've ever had. They're going to, have a couple with the Panthers down in Carolina before that preseason game, and then they're going to have the Bucks up here for a couple before that preseason game. They're not doing it with the Giants this year because they play them during the regular season. So they're going to have about four joint practices in addition to the four preseason games. So there's plenty of time on the practice field. All right, Rich Amini is my guest. All right, Rich, uh, you've covered this team for a while, as we all say when you when, when we talk to you. And, and to give us a reflection and a comparison, uh, how how different is the feeling around this team? Obviously, with Rogers there, is there is there a sense? Of, is there a, is there something you can feel? A difference you can feel about the confidence in this team uh, from the limited things you've seen with OTAs, from the the Christmas or things that you've seen. I know you'll get a better idea in training camp, but just so far, what what have you seen that you can say this is a different Jet team? Larry, I don't know if I'm good enough with words to accurately describe how different it is with Aaron Rodgers on the team. I mean, it just 
it's just so different, and it's to use a cliche, it's night and day. Uh, the players are giddy. I mean, I, I'm thinking of a particular interview. We talked to Lakin Tomlinson the other day, and you know, I, Jet fans know Lakin. You know, he he's a really laid back guy. You know, he doesn't really express too much emotions, but he's up there at the podium, and we're asking him about Aaron Rodgers. And he sounded like a, a, a teenage boy, a giddy teenage boy <laughs> talking about his high school crush, you know? I mean, he just was so excited to have Aaron Rodgers. And at one point, someone asked him, uh, you seem like you're in a little bit awe of him. And he kind of chuckled and he goes, well, yeah, you know? And so that's Lakin Tomlinson, who's like a, you know, a real down-to-earth, you know, very mellow guy. And so... Yeah, I mean, he's just had an enormous impact in the in the meeting rooms, on the field, in the trainer's room, in the press room, everywhere. He's had a tremendous impact. All right, since we're on the offensive line, let's stick with this offensive line. I saw in your article that we kind of figured out that right now uh, Dwayne Brown's going to be your left tackle, not Mekhi Becton. I don't think it's a surprise, Rich, uh, because you kind of know what, what Brown is giving you, and Becton – with through comments and things of that nature, he's really got to play his way on this team. To, you you can't go in with making him the starter. I don't I don't think he's he's proven that he could be the starter for you right now. No, no, not at all. Uh, I mean, Makai's got to play his way back into the good graces of staff because I think some of those comments he made to Newsday a few weeks ago about blaming the coaches for his knee injury last season uh, uh, those didn't sit too well uh, with some folks over there at One Jets Drive and. Makai is coming off essentially two years off, you know, because of his injury. Uh, he's done a great job this off season. I, I've seen him on the practice, and he's not practicing, but I see him off to the side. He looks like a different person. He's dropped about 50 or so pounds. I've been told he's down to about 340 now, and I think he wants to get down to about 335. So it seems like he has a new lease on life, but the, this coaching staff really, really likes Dwayne Brown. Uh, loves the guy. And like he said, it's going to be really hard to push him out. So unless Brown has a setback with his shoulder um, or unless Makai just comes in and like morphs into Jonathan Ogden or something like that, I think we're going to see Dwayne Brown as the opening day left tackle. Would that push Becton to the other side or would that push Becton on the bench? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know the answer to that right now. I think they're going to have to make a decision fairly quickly on that one because it, it's unfair to ask Makai to play left tackle all training camp, and then if he loses that job to Brown, say, oh, by the way, we're going to move you to right tackle now. So I think they need to make a quick decision on that. They did last year. You know, they came into training camp. We were all anticipating this battle between George Fant and Makai Becton at left tackle, and, and the coaching staff said from day one, Makai's going to be our right tackle, and he only lasted about a week before he, he hurt his knee again. So I think they got to make a quick decision on that. But, yeah, I could see Makai Becton starting out at right tackle. I mean, right tackle is not not a great situation. you got Max Mitchell. you got Billy Turner over there. you got Becton. So it's, it's a really wide-open position at this point. Uh, what do you see at the center position, Rich? I know we've had conversations about that, and that's a troubled position for them as well. Can the rookie get a shot? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Joe Tipman, it's, as I wrote this morning in my notes, it's his job to win. I mean, they drafted him in the second round for a reason. They think uh, he definitely is a better athlete than any of the other two guys, Connor McGovern or Wes Schweitzer. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of can he handle the mental aspect. As, as we all know, the center position 
is the quarterback of the offensive line, and there's a lot on the player mentally. Can he handle it as a rookie? I think a lot of it will be a, uh, a field thing with Aaron Rodgers. You know, does uh, Rodgers feel comfortable with him? Uh, I think that's going to have a go a long way towards determining who, who that guy is in the middle. If he doesn't quite feel comfortable with the rookie, then I could see Connor McGovern being the, uh, the opening day center. Ritz Amini is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Ritz, let's talk about defense, and we'll start defense with Quinnen Williams. Do we get this signed before training camp? I think there's a, a, a pretty decent chance of that happening. I certainly think it will happen before the start of the season. Robert Sala on record saying it will get done. He will be in training camp. Um, so the two sides have had sporadic talks for the last few months. You know, they'll talk a little, then they go on like a month hiatus, and then they'll talk a little. And I know they've talked very recently, so that's a good sign. Uh, I think that's uh, as an active situation where something could – if we hung up the phone, if I hung up the phone and something happened 10 minutes after our interview, Larry – I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. Uh, or it could happen on July 18th, you know, the night before they go to training camp. So I, I do expect it to get done, though. I, I don't think there are major hurdles. I think they're in the same ballpark. I mean, Rich, I, just me, considering how few draft choices get a second contract for the Jets recent in recent years, I, I would have thought that this might have been a little more of a priority once Aaron Rodgers got squared away. Yeah, uh, you know, they're still working on Rodgers' contract as well. Uh, we should mention that. That's going to get restructured at some point uh, so that there's something to look out for as well. But you're right, Larry. This is a high priority. I think it's looking like it's going slow because there have been so many other defensive tackles around the league who have gotten new deals, including close to home, Dexter Lawrence. So the Giants got, uh, tw- I think I want to say, 22 and a half or $23 million a year. Same draft class as Quentin Williams. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons in Tennessee, uh, Payne in Washington, uh, Hargrave in San Francisco. All these defensive tackles have been getting these huge deals, so that's what makes it makes the Williams-Jets situation look like they're going in slow motion. Um, I, it is a priority for the Jets, and you bring up a great point about re-signing their guys to second contract. Here's, here's a fact. Joe Douglas, in four years as the general manager, has never uh, re-signed a Jets draft pick to a multi-year second contract. So Quinnen will be the first for him. Uh, The Jets have gone through a long stretch. Uh, I think Muhammad Wilkerson was the last first-round pick to get a second contract. So, And Muhammad was drafted in 2011. So it's been a long time for the Jets. I I can guarantee you that that streak is going to end with Quinnen. It's just a matter of when. Wow, that's a heck of a stat, Rich. Uh, staying with the defense, one of the big issues, look, the Jet defense was was really improved last year, top five defense. Don't know if it was a Super Bowl defense, Rich, but it was a top five defense. But one of the things they really got gouged that was stopping the run. Do you see, uh, does does Michael Clemens give you that opportunity of somebody that can be maybe, a, I, I know they play a 4-3, so I'm not going to say a nose, but somebody that could beef up that that. that that a defensive front, so they can do a better job at you know giving not giving up four or five yards a, a clip on on running game. Yeah, well, yeah, Michael Clemens has gained over twenty pounds this offseason. Uh, he's up in the two nineties now, and they want to use him more in the interior. He was basically their backup right end last season. He played behind Carl Lawson in the base defense. 
And what they want to try to do with Clemens is when they go to Nichols, slide him inside, much like they do with uh, John Franklin Myers, who, who is basically the same size as Clemens, you know, about a 6'4", 290-pound guy. So they want to do that with Clemens as well. Um, you know, Michael Clemens, I, I don't think – I think he'd be okay in base downs uh, in the middle. I don't know if he has the, the pure pass rush ability that you're looking for in the middle – uh, the coaches seem to think he can be a really, really good asset in, as an interior rusher. We'll see. You know, they signed Quentin Jefferson from Seattle. I think he's going to be an interior rusher along with Quentin Williams. They have plenty of edge rushers. That's not an issue. And then, they, of course, they drafted Will McDonald. So they're going to have a nine- or ten-man rotation on the defensive line, which is what they had last year. Right. They seem to love that. They really do. Um, oh, they love it. <laughs> any and any. What are you hearing about Dalvin Cook? Is it possible? Are the Jets interested? Are they not interested? What, what are you hearing? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Salah was asked about that, and he did not dismiss it uh, like he did uh, DeAndre Hopkins a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, they're going to investigate it. They're going to turn over some stones and, and check into it a little bit. He also mentioned the contract situation, which reading between the lines is, um, you know, would they want to pay that kind of money? I mean, Obviously, Dalvin Cook is not going to get $11 million this year, which is what he was supposed to make from the Vikings. Uh, this just, we all know the, the value of running backs has, has plummeted in recent years, so he's not going to get that. But uh, I suspect that Dalvin Cook, based on what the market looks like, is probably going to get somewhere in the 5 to $6 million range. Hmm. I, I do think the Jets will investigate it. I, I don't think they would. I would be surprised if they'd go that high. I mean, Brees Hall is, is, from all indications, is going to be ready to go week one. Obviously, you don't want to overwork him early in the year as he comes back from this ACL. But they also have Bam Knight, Michael Carter, and uh, Izzy Abanaconda, the draft pick out of Pitt, who I think could be a real surprise this year. I mean, he's got mm. the kind of – he's got Brees Hall type of speed. So, I mean – you have the bodies in the backfield, and I don't think in this scheme, an outside zone scheme, I don't think you need, you know, the big expensive running back. If if they did go out and sign it for five or six million a year, it would be a departure from the Joe Douglas philosophy because he doesn't really believe in paying running backs. So that would surprise me a little bit. Like like most of the NFL, <laughs> right? Like most of the NFL. I mean, the Giants are going through it now with Barkley. You know how much exactly. is he really worth and. Is obviously a, a pretty big difference of opinion. Two more for you, Rich. How big a year is this for Michael Carter, the running back? I mean, he really didn't. He didn't perform the way I thought he would perform last year, especially after Brees Hall went down. This is kind of a big year for him, no? Yeah, I mean, it is. He didn't have a good year, and I was surprised. I, I thought he was, but. Uh, you know, statistically, if you look at the analytics, he might have been one of the worst running backs in the league. If you look at uh, you know, rushing yards over expected, which is a big, you know, the fancy analytics that a lot of a lot of teams use, he was last in the league in, in a per carry average. You know, for guys with at least 100 carries this year, so I think that was like 42 out of 42 running backs. So uh, yeah, and, and just looking just from the eye test, he did not pass that as well. Uh, He's, a, he's an important guy on the team. You know, he's respected in the locker room. He's a good leader. The coaches like him a lot. Uh, but, yes, Larry, this is a big year for Michael Carter. The third year, as Robert Sala is fond of saying, third year is huge for draft choices. 
All right, last one, Rich. I can't let you go without doing having our annual Aaron Rodgers, Zach Wilson question. Over the past couple of years, it's been clear that coaches have been willing to play their starting quarterbacks maybe one game or sit them the whole preseason. Rich, is that can you see a scenario where we get to see Aaron Rodgers maybe once or twice and mostly Zach Wilson in the in, in the preseason? Yeah, I think it's going to be a Zach Wilson preseason. Uh, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I did a little research. So Rodgers has not played in the preseason since 2018. Uh, and even then, he took five snaps in, in a game for the Packers. He took five snaps. I think he threw four passes, and that was it. So he hasn't been playing in the preseason in recent years. Uh, the Jets do have that extra preseason game, so they have four. Um, I'd be a little surprised if they play him in the preseason like I said, they have these joint practices for a reason. You know, you get out there. It's not the same as, as game action, but, you know, he gives a chance for the quarterback to build some chemistry with his receivers against, you know, a different defense. You know, you see different coverages. So I could, I could see uh, him sitting the preseason. If they played him, Larry, I think it would be a, it would be a cameo. It would be an in-and-out cameo and something like uh, five snaps again, a couple of handoffs, you know, a couple of three-step drops and throw the ball and get out of there. You know, it, it won't be much. There's really no point in doing it. And I think this preseason has to be about Zach Wilson. He's, he's going to – ideally, he doesn't play at all this year. I mean, mm. that way that means that Rodgers is healthy and he's doing well and Wilson doesn't play. So you got to get him the, – the kid needs reps. He just needs to see things and learn the game and develop his fundamentals. You know, everyone's raving about his OTAs, whatever. You know, they're seven on seven right now. You know, they're in shorts and T-shirts. So basically, he's got to get out there and he needs games reps. And also Tim Boyle, he's going to be their third quarterback. You want to get him some reps as well. Rich, enjoy the extra week. Take some time off because you're going to have a long season, my friend. Good to talk to you. We'll talk soon. All right, Larry. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right, take care. That's Rich Samini. We'll get your thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can't pinpoint it why. I think right now I'm having a ton of fun, like more fun than I've had. And, and I think that's just the QB room being with Aaron. I think it's feeling like every single day there's so much to, like, learn. You know, it's like every day I'm just like, wow, like I just learned 10 different things about playing the quarterback position. So I think I'm getting so eager to be there and soak up all the information that whole room has. So I think that's making it fun, which then translates to just playing free on the field. And the coaches do a good job of making everyone have a lot of fun, too. What you haven't heard in a while? Zach Wilson, having fun learning at the knee of Aaron Rodgers. Hardesty on a Sunday until 3 on 9870 SBA, 1-800-919-3776. Look, I know many of you, as Joe Leo said, pulled over to the side when I even mentioned his name of Zach Wilson. But I, I just want you to be honest. You're going to see a lot of him in preseason. You're not putting Aaron Rodgers under center in the preseason. You're just not. You're not. Why would you? No. You're not doing it. I don't know that I want him under center in the joint practices, but he's got to build some kind of chemistry at close to game speed with his receivers. Okay, so he's got to perform. He's got to be there other than just practice. Okay, we get that. And that's how he's built. And you got to build the chemistry. You do. But in a, in a preseason game, you're going to see a lot, a lot of Zach Wilson. He's got, he will probably start every 
preseason game. And I know you're not enamored with that. I know you're not looking forward to that. I get it. I understand. But even though even though the Jets have always said what you don't believe about Zach, well, we're happy with what he's doing. He's improving. We're seeing we're seeing this. We like what we see. We know he can be better. Blah 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 blah. You know, it's it's like the kid. It's like the uh, penis. That's what you're hearing. I get it. I understand. But for them, they need some positive things on video. So maybe somebody will take them off their hands. You know, maybe there's always that possibility, right? So those are the things that. So that's why you'll see him, and hopefully, that'll be it, because. For this team to be successful, Aaron Rodgers has got to play all the games. He does. And the offensive line has to protect him. And I'm just saying, I'm a little concerned about the right side of that line. I'm a little concerned. Because last year, the right side of that line was a mess. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. Hopefully, they'll, they won't have the same amount of injuries. And they'll be a little, they'll be, you know, able to hold on and protect Rodgers. At least that's the side he'll see. But, I mean, and I get Brown and Vera Tucker on that side. I, I, I get it. I think that's pretty good. And Tomlinson, I know. I guess Vera Tucker may go on the other side, but I just, I, I'm concerned with that right tackle spot. I just am. I just am. We'll get your thoughts next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Send to the phones. Ira's in Staten Island. What's up, Ira? Hey, all good, Larry. All good. And uh, Richie, as always, he's very insightful on in all his reports. It's a pleasure to listen to him. Glad you had him. Um, just a couple of things I want to touch base. I, I agree with you. You know, it, it is going to be Zach Wilson summer. And while I would love to get a more experienced backup in case something were to happen, God forbid, to Rodgers. Um, it doesn't look like it's heading in that direction. So uh, let him get as much work as he can. And I wouldn't put the I wouldn't put Rodgers on the field for even a handoff this summer. There's no reason to, like Rich said, he has to join practices. But the concerns, which are very little for me, because this is like uncharted territory. It's like I'm going into training camp. And I think they're the best team in the AFC East, no, dis, no disrespect to the Bills. Um, the right tackle situation, like you just mentioned, you know, I, they, they could always, I'm sure they don't want to, but if by some chance the three candidates don't pan out, you can always put Tucker over there. Uh-huh. You know, and then you have Tiffin and McGovern to play with right guard and center. So I think, I think probably that would be the last resort, and that's not a bad resort at all. Well, since you mentioned about stopping the runner, we discussed it. And I, I, I'm giving it a little thought. I'm no coach, but when if that defensive line doesn't make the initial stop, the system that um, Sala likes to have with his linebackers, and it's becoming more so around the league, they like the lighter and faster linebackers. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the problem really is because there's eight or nine linebackers on this roster. And maybe there's four of them that are 230 pounds. Everybody's like 215, 220. Yeah. So if if an offensive lineman gets to the second level, 
there's very little chance the linebackers are going to stop the run until they gain a good five, ten yards. So I really think that's the biggest problem, stop, stopping the run. You know, that's an interesting point, Ira, and thanks for the phone call, uh, is that right now you we've become such a pass – it's become such a pass-happy league, and you want to make sure that you can do something with your tight ends coming out short or your running backs coming out of the backfield or people's slots or whatever. So all those mismatches, you try to spread your linebackers out so they can take a, a player to go from sideline to sideline. So your 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 running backs, your tight ends coming out, you really want to have a matchup, even though it's tough. You try to go lighter with your with your linebackers. So Ari, you're absolutely right, which means that that's why you don't see a lot of three four anymore because of the fact that how do you match that up? Okay, unless you're going to go you know extra three five maybe <laughs> because you want to stretch your linebackers out so much, and then that hurts you in the secondary. So. They still need to find a way, Ira. You're right. You've got to find a way, though, to to do something at the line of scrimmage where at least you slow them down. So then your linebackers can come in and finish off the deal if in case they get past the initial line of scrimmage, uh, even if they – but they're not getting past you at full speed. So that's what you're trying to hope for. But they have to find a way to stay out of second and third and short situations because that's what killed this team last year. Your whole idea, while you hear everybody talk about, we got to stop the run, we got to stop the run, we got to stop the run. There's no, <laughs> nobody cares how much you pay for running backs. Okay, the running backs are not important, but you got to be able to. But they are important, and they're the reason why you end up in second and third and short situations because your running backs, okay, are getting four, five, six yards on first down. So your second and third calls, the defense is on their heels. They don't know what you're doing. Whereas if it's third and 15, well, now, okay, I'm going to put pressure on you. I'm going to make you, I'm going to determine where you can go with the football. All right. As opposed to the other way around. And the Jets found themselves in a lot of positions like that last year because they gave up so many yards on first down. And so that's what, that's what really needs to improve for them. All right. It has to. Because then that helps that defense get off the field, which allows your offense, and hopefully, and it should be more potent, it should be more efficient, it should be more effective than it was in previous years because you have a better quarterback. If the offensive line is able to play close to the way we expect them to play, if your running game is good because your passing game is good and the offensive line is doing their job, now you have a chance to get up and down the field and you have a chance to put points on the board, which then allows you defensively, okay, to be fresher and to be a bit more aggressive because teams are going to pretty much abandon the run because they're trying to put points on the board. And time is and it's getting late in the game. So hopefully, hopefully that's how it works out. But listen, injuries and, and performance, so many different things determine how well teams teams play. It just does. Uh, AJ's in the car. What's up, AJ? Hey, doing, Larry? Great. What's up? Good. Uh, I don't know if people are overlooking. Um, obviously, the Jets are an improved team. Obviously, they got Aaron Rodgers. But I don't know if people are overlooking their schedule. They have one of the hardest schedules. I don't know if you're taking a look at the schedule, their first 11 games. Mm-hmm. It is brutal. Brutal. Uh, 
you know, this could, you know, this can fall really fast. You know, the schedule matters, and, you know, they're playing some really good teams. They're playing Philly, Kansas City, Chargers. They're at their Buffalo twice. You know, it can go back and be a, you know, if they start off four and four and seven, you know, oh. this is a, oh. it can get really bad. The schedule matters. It does, AJ. And thanks for the phone call. Uh, we have gone over the schedule. I have it up in front of me. And I'll quickly go through it for you. All right, they open September 11th uh, at home against Buffalo. Sunday the 17th, they're at Dallas. Sunday the 24th, home for New England. Then October 1st, home for Kansas City. On the 8th, at Denver. 15th, home for Philadelphia. Then they have a bye week. Coming out of the bye week, Sunday, October 29th, they're, they're uh, playing the Giants. Then they're home for the Chargers, at the at the Raiders, at Buffalo, home for Miami, and that brings us to the um, Black Friday game, which is uh, Friday, November twenty fourth. So they're home. That's a three o'clock game, home for Miami. So the first twelve games are pretty competitive. You're right. I think it's one of the toughest in the league. The other side of that is once they hit December. Based on last season, okay, based on last season, uh, home for Atlanta on the 3rd of December, home for Texas on the 10th of December, at Miami on the 17th, home for Washington on Christmas Eve, uh, at Cleveland on the 28th, and at New England on Sunday, January 7th. Here's the one thing I will say to you is if I'm a Jet fan, and I'm looking at this schedule. I would rather see the tougher part of this schedule early than late. I'll explain why next. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. We get to your calls in a second at 1-800-919-3776. Let me pay off. Let me give you my example. Our Steve Young has told the Michael K show on numerous occasions over the past couple of years that because of what we discussed in pre, uh, how teams look at preseason and how you don't play your, maybe some teams don't play their starting quarterbacks and other teams don't put, you know play a bunch of their real good starters it takes a while for teams to get into the flow of things right they do this because of injury and so all different reasons so it's almost like the month of September is an extra month of an extension of the preseason. And when I heard that from Steve Young the first time, I'm like, huh, what's he talking about? And then you watch sometimes how the really good teams previous years get off to slow starts because they're looking to find themselves. They understand that as not that they're trying to lose intentionally. It's not what I'm saying. And not that they're not putting forth the best effort, but you get into a flow. Everybody's roster changes so much every year. Okay, they, it does. So I'd rather, if I'm a Jets fan, I'd rather see Dallas. I hate seeing New England anyway, but I'd rather see Dallas and Kansas City and Philadelphia. I'd rather see them early in the season than after they've gone into a role and they've gotten some things figured out and it's early no early to mid November right and you're 7 8 9 10 get you 7 8 games into the season 
And now teams are starting to gear up for that final push where you go, you position yourself so you make a run when you hit December and then go forth into and ride into the postseason. So in that sense, in that sense, while it is a tough schedule and there's no question about it, it is, and you don't know how your team is going to respond because this team, this team, look at this. I mean, they've got, think about this. Okay, the Monday night game, it's a Monday night game. So that's 815. Dallas is 425. New England is one. Kansas City is a Sunday night game at 820. At Denver's 425. Philadelphia is 425. Uh, when you come back in November, LA is 815. That's an 815 game. Sunday against the Raiders, that's a Sunday night game. That's 820. Buffalo, that's 425. The Jets haven't had more than one or two 425 games in, in the past decade. They haven't, they haven't had a 425 game since, what, maybe 2015? Multiple 425 games? Multiple primetime games? You know, with Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker and Ryan Fitzpatrick and that offense? When they won 10 games and should have went to the postseason? So this team has been, this team is underachieved. You're going to see a lot of them. And that's extra pressure. So I don't know how this team is going to respond. I don't know what happens if, as the caller, as AJ said, they happen to get off to a slow start. I mean, four and seven is a bit much. But once again, because of in, if injury, you don't know. But I don't foresee that to be the issue. But there's a lot of variables here. And later in the season, when you hit December, you know, that's flex territory. You've got some one o'clock games that could be flexed. The Miami game on December 17th, I don't know. It could be flexed to a night game. You never know. Go off. It's a one o'clock game right now. It could be flexed to 425 based on what's happening. So that's the other wild card in this situation. So listen, it's going to be an interesting season. The Jets have their ownership has gone all in. Uh, they may have to make some additional moves for depth. That's the one thing that that if I were a Jet fan, I would be concerned about. I'm still not sold on this offensive line. I'm just not. I'm not sold on the offensive line. I'm not sold on the depth of the secondary. The secondary played very well last year. Okay, Sauce Gardner was outstanding. Gary Wilson offensively outstanding last year. He could hardly get on the field early. And think about that. He even he wasn't even involved in the offense early in the season. And look what he was able to do as the season went on. And they've added some players. But they've also added some older players. And when you add older players, you have that look. The NFL is a 100% injury situation. Every game, somebody gets hurt or injured. Somebody gets injured. And sometimes you get seriously hurt. So with older players that you bring in, you raise that situation substantially. But they should be better than they've been the past couple of years. And that's not a stretch. Adams in Farmingdale. What's up, Adam? Hey, what's up, Larry? Um, is it okay if I switch the gear to basketball? Sure, go ahead. All right. Um, you know, Knicks fan, want to talk about the Knicks. Mm-hmm. And um, as we wrap up the season here, and it looks like Denver is going to win it with the perennial MVP, um, as we look towards the offseason, I really feel like the GM needs to go out there and find himself a real big all-star, someone who's over and beyond in the top ten and I'm not saying whatever it costs, but to make it happen. And I'll tell you why. When I look back on championship teams when I grew up, 
I grew up watching Michael Jordan. He carried the team. I watched, um, we watched most recently, we watched like Steph Curry carry Golden State to all these championships. Giannis. It seems like the championship teams have that one player who's maybe not just an all-star, but like a super all-star, maybe even Hall of Famer. And I just wanted to get your take on that because I don't think they're, the way they're constituted right now, they're good. But I don't see any NBA championship teams with just above-average players. There's always, like, somebody over and beyond. Well, you're right, and, and thanks for the phone call. It's about it's, – it's always about talent. It's always about who is going to be the, the number one guy on your team and who is that player and what does – what are the positives to that player's abilities and you normally build around to supplement that. And so what the Knicks have right now is they have uh, really, to me, co-players, co-great players, co-leaders, co-stars with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. The issue for them becomes what do they see when they look at this team? And, And we've had this conversation a lot. And the question is, people automatically say, I want Randall out. Gone. Done. Okay. And and I've said to you, 25 and 10 is <laughs> doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> okay? 25 and 10 is pretty good. Right? 25 and 10 is substantial. And what Julius Randall was able to do last season during the regular season was to give you the 25 and 10 and cut down on the turnovers. Now, were there instances where, you know, he had some key turnovers trying to do too much? Yes, everybody has them. But he did a better job. The question becomes, what would you do to add to that? What are you going to do to add to him? Personally, I would like a wing player, a 3 and D guy who can hit the three, give you some defense on the wing, and improve your, improve your defense and your scoring. If you're going to, if Tom Thibodeau, who, listen, you may have your disagreements with him, but he's gotten you to the postseason two of the three years that he's been head coach. You know that the identity of the Snick team is defense. Yes, they are scoring more. Yes, they're, they're trying to be a bit more creative offensively, trying to. But the bottom line, of def- defensively, that's their identity. So you're not going to lose that with this head coach. All right? But you need to find a way with a, even if it's another star, and I hear what you're saying about superstar, but even if it's another star that can complement what you have with Brunson and Randall, and then supplement that with guys who can hit threes, three-point makers. Now, I've been seeing a lot of rumors about uh, Vincenzo, who is with uh, Golden State, who was with Milwaukee. Fabulous three-point shooter. I don't think Golden State, I think Golden State, if they can, they're going to try to resign him because he was, you know, very important for them last year. But that's what you're looking for for the Knicks. You're looking for three-point makers because on those on those occasions when Brunson is double-teamed or Randall is double-teamed and you can then, somebody's open and you can pass the ball out and have a consistent person to hit a three, that would be huge for this team. A Seth Curry is another player like that. 
uh, Struess in Miami, who's a free, who's going to be a free agent, is another player like that. All right, that's what they ultimately need: guys who can spread the floor, spread the floor, hit the three, and so it it also encourages Brunson and Randall to not be so isocentric. Okay, because as you looked in the postseason, especially the series against Miami, the Knicks were very ISO heavy. Look, they're ISO heavy anyway. We understand that. But they were really ISO heavy. <laughs> it just seemed like in that series against Miami because people weren't hitting shots. Josh Hart wasn't hitting the three as he did as well in the regular season. Uh, Randall wasn't hitting the three. Randall uh, compromised, I guess, by the ankle. Uh, you know, they weren't hitting threes. Teams were, weren't hitting threes. Uh, Emmanuel quickly wasn't the offensive person that you thought that he was going to be in the postseason. So those are the issues that you run into. And so one of the things that because of that, it became even more ISO heavy, where it was Jalen Brunson dribbling and dribbling and going to the basket. It was Julius Randle dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and trying to go to and trying to get a shot off. And so, and then Grimes and the other folks that I mentioned were hitting the three, so it became an issue. So for me, that's where they have to figure things out. I just think that this Nick team, the front office, really likes what they have with Randall and Brunson. Because you don't hear anything about Randall being moved. You hear about Toppin being moved. You hear about RJ possibly being moved. You hear about Grimes being moved. Uh, I saw one or two things online uh, about, you know, I uh, quickly being moved. But you're not seeing anything about Randall being moved. I just believe that this Nick front office likes, they want to have a third person around Brunson and Randall. And I think that's the route they want to go. Gordon's in Jersey. What's up, Gordon? How you doing, Larry? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Good. Um, I think that third person could be available from the Bulls, DeMar DeRozan. Mm. What do you uh, think? He's, he's also been in the mix. Uh, I've seen his name mentioned as well, Gordon. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, so that's another person. But see, when you think about DeMar DeRozan, what's been what's been so fabulous about his game, he's not a three-point shooting guy. He can hit the three. But he's a guy that's – he's the mid-range king. He's a guy that hits from the free throw line in. He continues to be a – shoot a very high percentage. Now, I'm not sure what Chicago's going to do. They're in a unique situation. They have to make some decisions there. Where are they going? Are they have to make some changes to this team to try to get better, because they could. I mean, they they were in the play-in again, right? Uh, lost to Miami, and Miami has gone on to 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 be in the finals. So, you know, uh, they've got players that have been rumored that they're trying to ship and move out. Uh, but I just, uh, Demar Derozan. If I'm them, I kind of want to keep him because of what he brings to the table. Because he is that consistent shooter. He is that guy that gets me points. He is that guy that's a leader on the team. And if I bring him to the Knicks, is he, I'm bringing him off the bench. Is he, is he a starter? Is he coming off the bench with me? Is he, is he alongside Brunson and I'm putting RJ on the bench? What am I, what am I doing? Where does he fit? But there's no question. He is also a person that can hit the mid range jumper, 
a guy that gives you offense and plays defense as well. But his his claim to fame is he is outstanding in the fourth quarter. That's what he's been. He's been really, really good late. And, you know, that's when games are won. 1-800-919-3776. More of your calls next on 98.7 ESPN.